When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org ortho. I'm Michael Boxall, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast presented by alina health orthopedics i'm steve mcpherson and we're here again this week to celebrate and recognize black history month on sound of the loons we've already had some terrific guests great shows the last couple weeks we uh we talked to brothers justin and jeremy sutherland uh two weeks ago and then last week we had on sports writer myron medcalf midfielder jacory hayes uh so go check out those podcasts if you haven't already today we're joined by Henry Lake, who hosts The Lake Show on News Talk 830 WCCO, and goalkeeper Dane St. Clair of Your Minnesota United. Uh, guys, I thought I'd just start with some, some intros uh, for, the, um, for the fans, people listening. Uh, I thought I'd let, let you do it yourself. Henry, let's start with you. Um, get, you know, like get the listeners familiar with who you are uh, and how you got uh, where you are now. Um, let's start. You were born in Memphis. Uh, I, I read a great profile in the Star Tribune on you, um, but raised in Minneapolis. Tell me a little bit about just, you know, coming up and, and how you got to what you're doing right now. Yeah, so it's, it's real interesting because it's funny, like, you literally get born in one city and then your parents automatically, like, within weeks are moving somewhere else, right? So it's always kind of, like, weird. But, um, but yeah, born in Memphis, um, but I'm from here. You know, this is, this is home, um, and I love it here. always have. Um, but my story is essentially one in which along the way of trying to figure out what I wanted to do early in life in college, I met some really cool people. And so when I was working the um, Olympic basketball competition in 1996, I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta. You know, I was a big Martin Luther King Jr., Spike Lee fan, whatever. I wanted to follow in their footsteps, Samuel Jackson, whatever. And so I went to Morehouse. Um, and then when I was graduating in 96, clearly that summer was the Summer Olympics. And so... I had written letters to several different people in NBA offices because that was like my dream job, right? Like work with an NBA basketball team. And so um, a gentleman wrote me back by the name of Pete Babcock, and he happened to be the uh, president and GM for the Atlanta Hawks at the time. So he's a big deal. And that seemed like some motivational speeches that he had given um, a couple of times on like TBS or whatever. And I was like a really big fan. And so anyway, he wrote me a letter back. I happened to our paths crossed in uh, after one of the Olympic games. And so we had a conversation. I talked to him. He was awesome. And he happened to have a brother by the name of Rob that was working in basketball operations with the Timberwolves. So he knew that I was coming back. He knew that his brother was in the organization. Um, he was able to connect us. Um, I, I was able to get a basketball community relations internship with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then it just kind of like took off from there where I went from there to doing like some AU coaching. And then that kind of like snowballed into me knowing all of these different college coaches from coast to coast and starting my own newsletter. And then it really took off because people like 
KFAN noticed me and said, hey, man, you know, we like what you're doing. Why don't you come in here, do an internship, um, interview real quick, and then that's where it really took off. So, yeah, it's really about connections in a lot of ways. Yeah. I feel like that's, a, especially as someone who, who, who thrives on conversation and, and meeting people, it's about sort of fostering those connections, right? Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's, let's be honest, media-wise, diversity is still lacking. So, you know, we're talking me making my way over to KFAN in 1998 as an intern for the Chad Barrero show. So that's 1998. Um, it took a little bit of time, like maybe a year or year and a half, couple of years for me to work my way on air. But, uh, but at the end of the day, I was in the right spot. I met some of the right people and those people kind of led me down the right direction. And I took it from there. Yeah. And, um, uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to Dan in a second. I did want to start by sort of transitioning to that by asking you about your, your experience with soccer. Um, I know you spent time in Kansas city and obviously sporting Kansas city is, is, is a big deal down there. And I really like that team and that stadium, despite having a sort of semi rivalry with Minnesota United. FC. <laughs> um, but, uh, just, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience with soccer. Yeah. So, so I'm a very casual fan. Um, I, I like more so going to the to the to the games because it's such a massive event, right? Like I, I watch, um, you know, you guys on on the air when 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 you guys are available to watch, and, and it fits my schedule because I work at the radio home for the Minnesota Twins, so most nights I'm watching Twins baseball. But but yeah, so my introduction to the MLS was in Kansas City, so. I'm at WCCL Radio right now, but I came back to the market here in Minneapolis in 2018. From 2013 to 2000, the first half of 2018, because I came later in September, um, I was in Kansas City at Six Sense Sports Radio, which is an all-sports station there. And <laughs> when I got there, man, I had never been to um, an MLS, um, you know, soccer event, stadium, whatever, right? And the very, I want to say the very first year that I was there, um, a buddy of mine who now works with Minnesota United, he was actually working in the league office. And so they had an all-star game in Kansas City. But before the, the actual all-star event, because it was like a, a two-day deal, um, I went to a game at Children's Mercy Park, and it was amazing. Like the, the atmosphere, the entire time, the chance, everything, I was like, this is pretty badass. Great stadium, great atmosphere. And so I was like, I was into it, man. I was I was into the whole sporting thing. And it just so happened that that, that all-star event was like really, really fun. It was really, really dope. And so I kind of got drawn in then. So for me, when I think about MLS soccer, the first thing I think about is, you know, the phenomenal play you're going to get. And secondly, just the overall atmosphere. It's a great event to go to. Yeah. Um, so Dane, let's, let's talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, your, your experience growing up and then how you came to soccer. You're from, uh, the, the Toronto area, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit outside of Toronto. So, I mean, very multicultural city. So I felt like a lot of people coming from different ethnic backgrounds, like a lot of people play soccer. My dad's from Trinidad and my mom's descent is from, uh, Scotland. So, it was kind of destined for me to, to play soccer a little bit. That was kind of the main sport. So I remember playing as early as I can walk and then kind of just fell in love with the game, went up through the ranks there. And, I mean, soccer is just such a big sport there because of all the different diversities. You have a lot of Portuguese, a lot of Caribbean, Europeans, just Italians, exactly. So 
I mean, you're seeing just that culture there that you could see in places of Europe, kind of in, in Toronto and in these places because it's so multicultural. Of course, hockey is still big because it's Canada, but in the Toronto area, I really noticed how big soccer was growing up. And yeah, then, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and then just going through the ranks there, growing up there, I kind of developed, got better, and just kind of really fell in love with the game and took it all the way through. It's been to the path that I've been at now, which is very fortunate to to have this opportunity. Yeah, let, me, let me just say this r- real quick. Let me just say this now. I am so jealous. I mean, Dane is from Toronto. I love Toronto. Like, Toronto is one of my, like, four or five favorite cities, right, in North America. I, I love going to San Diego. I'm, you know, I'm into Vegas because, I, you know, I like going out. To Vegas is different, right? You got the strip and everything. But, man, Toronto, I, I got to get back. I'm dead serious. Post-COVID, that's on my list of the top three places I got to get back to because I've been to Toronto and I know that Dane's um, fully aware of uh, what the, I think it's called Caravana. Caravana, yeah. Yeah, Caravana. Yeah. So, so I went to that. And l- let me just say that the moment that I got off the plane, I was in love because the woman at the counter for that was giving us the rental car, I was like there with her, right? And it's, <laughs> Toronto is such a crazy town where there's so many um, amazing people, beautiful people. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a great time, and everybody was throwing a party. Shaq was throwing a party. Um, yeah, I got to get back to Toronto, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Toronto's awesome. I've I, the most recent time I was there, I was there for the NBA All Star Game, um, and uh, it was incredibly cold, so it was hard to walk around a lot. Fortunately, there's mm-hmm. there's subterranean uh, uh, tunnels you can go through, which helps out a little bit with that. Um, even for Minis- a Minnesotan, it would seem pretty cold at that time, but. Uh, but yeah, the multicultural element of it was amazing. Like I just the way that all the cultures are just sort of jammed on top of each other. I mean, I remember walking to the uh, a museum, an art museum, and it was in the middle of sort of like the, the sort of Chinatown area. And it was like you just yeah. transitioned. Suddenly all the signs are in, you know, kanji. And I was like, or, or you know, like, like, you know, characters that I couldn't read. And I was like, this is amazing. Like it's all it's it's such a it's such a fun melting pot as of a city, I think. Yeah, it's it's, it's a dope spot. It's like. To, to me, you know, because everybody and I know how we are in America, we love New York City, right? New York City's, you know, dope, um, you know, but I, I can't place a city like New York over Toronto. And, and I'll tell you why real quick. I'm, I'm so like locked into Toronto now, right? <laughs> it's just so funny. But 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 like, and this is no disrespect to New York. I love New York. It's a great city. It's different. It's unique. But when they say money making Manhattan, you know, I literally, you walk through Manhattan and there's just so much like, and I get it. It's, it's a, a city where there's so many people on top of each other, but like there's garbage everywhere. <laughs> like, I, but, and I'm just saying, Toronto has that New York feel, but it's clean, you know? So it's just, I don't know. It, 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 it's a really dope city, but you're right though. The diversity in Toronto is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. I was blown away by it. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I know Dane's probably like Drake guy. Um, no, I'm not knocking Drake. I'm not knocking Drake. Drake's cool. But I'm going to go past you, though, Toronto. Cardinal Arshaw, have you ever heard of him? Yeah. Yeah, that's back in the day. So I, I'm, I'm going to go with the older head. I'm going to go with the older head. He's nice, too. Hey, create, create the pathway for Drake. Yeah, yeah, he did. Are you a Drake guy, Dane? Yeah, yeah, I am, of course. I mean, I don't think you can be from Toronto and, and not be. 
and he's nice. I just had to go with the the, the one of the for elder sure, guys that sure. led the way. <laughs> I will say I remember being a, a, a little kid uh, and listening to Dream Warriors. Do you guys know uh, Dream Warriors? They were a Canadian hip hop band, early '90s. They had a song called "My Definition of a Boombastic Jazz Style," mm. um, that was like a minor hit. And I'm talking like I was in junior high. So that's that's my history with Canadian rap. So I'm even more old school. <laughs> you said they came out when when you were in eighth grade. Yeah. So I'm thinking like. Okay. 90 90 okay, 89 right. 90 oh okay 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 yeah i i got you right yeah you, this is this is way before you blew up on tiktok so i, I get it all right. <laughs> right 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 um dan i want to talk a little bit about your experience with the uh canadian national team um because you were just up in 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 camp there i believe in january is that right correct yeah yeah, how did how did that go? It's it's you obviously you've had experience as as a as a youth uh team member, but uh, just just tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it was an honor to get called into my first uh senior camp. So I think uh and it was it was a while since I played for Canada cuz the last one was uh under 20s. So it was a little while, but um definitely very appreciative of, of the opportunity and it was nice to to see some familiar faces again that you haven't seen in a while. I mean, especially during the, during the season, you're battling a lot of these guys and you have a little bit of relationship from playing in the past and stuff like that, but then to form a team environment and really talk about our goals for, for, for our nation, not only now, but for the future as well, and kind of just start to build again in that brotherhood and, and really know that what we're going into together is uh, going to be like a war kind of almost. So um, just really getting back into the system, of course, a new coach now um, since I've been called in. So uh, a new coach and just understanding his values and his system and all the things that he wanted. So um, I was very appreciative and uh, look forward to hopefully getting called in again in the future. Yeah, and I wanted to also talk about a little bit um, in a normal year, you know, I would have probably gotten to talk to you a couple times during the season about, about this, this past season. And, you know, it was a big one for you, obviously getting the chance for that, that starting nod and then having a great, you know, you know, start to your, your career as a starter, starting with a clean sheet, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. the playoffs and everything like that. But I haven't really gotten to connect with you because uh, this year has been so weird. So, uh, you know, if you could just tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that chance to become a starting goalkeeper and then just how weird it's been to have it happen to you this season. Yeah, I mean, the plan was for me to go on loan for the whole season in San Antonio, and I was definitely really grateful for the opportunity because I was able to get get a few games before I was coming back. So I kind of I uh, was able to feel a little bit more comfortable before before I came back. So I was definitely grateful for the opportunity down in San Antonio. And then uh, after a few games, after the whole pandemic, I I got a call back saying that um, Tyler was getting surgery and that um, I was gonna it was gonna be required for me to come back. So um, just went with the mindset that I'm going to try to use it as an opportunity. And of course I was playing every game in San Antonio and I said, I want to come in Minnesota and do the same. And I knew that it was going to be a challenge, but it was a challenge that I embraced. And then um, when I got the opportunity, I was just saying like telling myself that I'm not going to kind of let it slip through my hands because in this, in this industry, if you very, you get very few opportunities like the ones I got in, it's all about uh, grasping any, little half chance that you can get and um I just try to keep that in the back of my head uh even when the success was going well because as quickly as things go well they can go badly as well yeah for sure Henry I wanted to ask you about your experience in this 
this last, I guess it's now <laughs> almost a year exactly. <laughs> like how is, how has that affected, you know, your, your work and how you go about what you do, um, you know, covering, covering sports and, and, and doing stuff with WCCM? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. That's a good question. So <laughs> I haven't broadcasted inside the actual studio in downtown Minneapolis since March the, I want to say maybe like the 16th or something like that. So um, everybody that has an actual, their own show during the day, like me um, or night, we're all broadcasting from home. So that's, that's a different dynamic. You know, I haven't seen my producer or seen my bosses or managers or whatever since March, which is really, you know, unique. It's different. I had never been on a Zoom or done anything that way before the pandemic, right? There's a lot of things that have really, really changed. But um, I think beyond just the fact of um, broadcasting from home, everything that's happened um, in our country and globally has put so many people to the brink of like so much stress. There's so many people that are stressed out. We've got so many people that have lost their jobs. Unfortunately, we have so many people that have been impacted from a health perspective by COVID because they've gotten it and, and they're bearing levels to recovery. And there've been people that have died. You know, I've lost two family members um, to COVID. Um, the first in August uh, in Mississippi. And then the second was two weeks ago in Arkansas. So it's, you know, it's affected all of us. And so like for me being a talk show host, that's every single day my profile is getting bigger, right? So that means a lot of more people are paying attention to me in the midst of a crisis like this. Um, I don't want to say that my show is like escapism because I talk about real stuff, but we also fantasize about the Vikings or we fantasize about the, you know, the Timberwolves, um, you know, whoever, you know, um, and, and, and the twins, I because our station's twins and Timberwolves, those are the two teams sure. that we have. So I think for me, a lot of people turn to me and they wanted some real conversation about a lot of the, the sad realities of what America is right now um, and what America can be, because we always have to think about what America can be at its best. Um, there's been a lot of real conversation. I've been a part of that. And I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah, that that a question about, you know, I think it's the thing that we've wrestled with at Minnesota United, like just in terms of organizationally, like during this time in the role of sports and the role of sports as escapism and then also but also as a, a vehicle for for change or bringing up awareness. Um, I guess I'll, I'll turn to you, Dane, and just ask about, you know, your experience, you know, playing the sport, the fact that it was, you know, the season started, it got suspended, and then there was the decision to come back and, and sort of all the stuff that went into that and your feelings about, you know, being out there and playing, again, as Henry said earlier, a, a, a sport that the, the one of the biggest things is the atmosphere and you were out there in empty stadiums for this whole season. Like, what were, what were your feelings going, over, going through the season like that? Yeah, I think um... – at first, it was definitely very tough for a lot of the players. I mean, this is our job, you know what I mean? This is what we go to. We go to the facility. As soon as the facility got closed, and it was like, what do, what do we do? You know what I mean? You didn't, you weren't, you weren't sure how long it was going to be because it was indefinite break. So it was definitely very tough on, on not only physically to, to try to stay sharp with everything being closed, but I think mentally as well because this is, this is our job and this is our passion and this is what we do. So when you kind of take, took that away from us, it was it was tough mentally as well. But I mean, we made the decision to come back. We knew that it was going to be tough because 
the reality was that people were probably going to get COVID. We're going to have to deal with that situation. But we also knew, like you said, how it can be a vehicle and for the fans and things like that. Although they couldn't be in the stadium, it kind of gave a little bit of hope and a little bit of um, reality that the world could get back to normal, hopefully, eventually. So I think um, we did we did take a risk coming back. But I think um, we also thought of the big picture with with everything that was going on. And I think kind of when sports stopped is kind of when the world really started to take the pandemic seriously as well. So um, I think when, when sports were able to come back, even though it's not in the same fashion it is, it kind of brought a little bit back of that, that normalcy. And I mean, like you said, the atmosphere is definitely the, my favorite part of the game for sure. And, and along with competing. So um, not playing in front of fans, I think was, was very tough on the players as well, because you know, you like, it didn't almost feel real, even though you were there and competing and playing for meaningful games. But when you don't have that that fan, that those fans cheering or singing Wonderwall or things like that, it it was tough mentally too. To you know, what I mean, they they say that the the fans are that twelfth that twelfth uh, team, so or twelfth person. Mm-hmm. So when you when you when you need that little extra push, and you you kind of got to look to each other as as teams, and it kind of brought us a little bit closer together because we had to provide that extra little bit of motivation or that extra little push for each other because it, it didn't come outsourced when like a normal season. I mean, it was definitely extremely tough playing without the fans. I think some people thought it would be easier without the having the pressure or things like that. But for me personally, I found it a lot harder because I mean, you play for the fans, you know what I mean? Like that's why you play for the badge, you play for all these things and not having them there physically to look up and see them to giving them that extra push or, or things like that was was definitely very hard for at least me personally. I think that's a great answer because Dane is, is, is spot on in that. And this is one thing I try to tell my listening audience a lot of times. People get caught up into um, our lifestyles, right, in terms of how we lead our lives and what we do for work. It's different from an athlete. And I don't think that people are really looking at the mental stress um, and, and, and toll that's being taken out on athletes right now during the course of this pandemic. We're all stressed, right? We're all dealing with COVID. So nobody's escaping it, right? But it's different when a person has, you know, part of their workday is Zoom meetings or like for me, you know, at home on a couch, you can't tell if I'm wearing clothes or not. I could be naked doing the show, right? So you don't know, but I'm doing a show in the confines of my home. But the bottom line is that Dane doesn't, he's not afforded that. Like he has to actually physically go out there and, and, you know, play in front of people. And that is stressful, right? And when I say in front of people, I'm not talking about right now, literally people in the stadium, but I'm talking about people watching on TV, right? You, you got to go out there and you, you're, you're, you're on, you're under the microscope is my biggest point, right? Like you can't, they can't just like say, okay, I, I, we're going to do games, but they're not going to be televised. We'll, we'll, we'll play, but you know, it can't be reported on like all of that stuff is going to be out there. You know, loons lose. It's going to be talked about. They win. It's going to be talked about. So, you know, a lot of times people look at their own situations and they say, okay, well, you know, the pandemic sucks because I'm stuck at home with my kids and the distance learning is getting to me. And then my kids are driving me crazy. Right. Like it's a different type of stress for all of us. And I think that people think that athletes are robots and they're not, you know, they're not really just can't say, all right, let's wind him up. (laughs) Yeah. And Dane also has to wear pants to his job um, for sure. (laughs) 
they're actually very brightly colored. Uh, I, I, they always make the goalkeeper uniform so brash. Um, what? I'll, the, the, quick sidebar, <laughs> Dane. What was your what's your favorite color that you've had to play in? Um, you know, with with the crazy uh, uniforms that goalkeepers get. Funny enough, it's probably the one that we've worn the least, but I like the all black that we had last year with the little bit of the blue trim. I th- that was my favorite, but our jersey was also gray last year and a lot of other teams are dark colors. So I think we maybe wore it two times of the whole year, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that one was my favorite one. Um, so uh, another thing I want to talk about, obviously a, a serious topic, but we're now nine months essentially to the day uh, after, after George Floyd's death, which was another thing that was, um, you know, what the massive event of the past year, especially here in, in Minnesota, but um, a thing that I think sparked a lot of discussion and and hopefully sparked change throughout uh, the country. I just wanted to check in, you know, talk to you, Henry, a little bit about where you feel like we are now, like what you have seen that is that has maybe gotten better and, and where else, you know, obviously there's a lot left to be done, but where else, you know, we need to go from here. Yeah, I feel like we're just getting started. Um, George Floyd's murder, like it was, it devastated everybody. Right. And it it really, to me, was a catalyst for meaningful conversations about what's taking place in society. And we can talk about various different aspects. We can talk about the economic issues, right? We can, we can, we can talk about um, all the different disparities that we see in society. You know, we can talk about racism. Like, there's a lot of things that we can talk about, but we also have to address policing. And I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million more times. Police officers, I absolutely love and value what they do. There's no question about it, right? We need police officers. I've never been somebody that's ran with the slogan of abolish the police or whatever, right? But you got to have good policing. Like one of the things that I battle all the time is that when people say, um, you know, you don't support police or you're not blue lives matter and all that, which is which isn't true. No one's saying that they're anti-police. What people are saying is, is we're anti-bad policing. Nobody has an issue with a good police officer. Trust me, no one does. What you have, what you have an issue with are the people that they just don't do their jobs well, or they have ulterior motives. And that is a problem. Like legitimately, we have a problem when a man puts his knee on another man's leg and on, on, on his neck and his life is taken away from him. Like everybody in the world um, with a heart has a problem with that. And so those are the things that we have to work on. It all to me comes down to police accountability. Um, none of us have jobs where we can take someone's life and not be held accountable for it. That's just not how justice works. It's not how American life is supposed to work. You know, there's so many different things that we have issues with with policing. It's not just killing people, right? We clearly have a problem with that. But just some of the common sense things, you know, body slamming a nine-year-old kid um, that isn't being the most respectful at a school, right? They're nine. Like they're, they're, and I've worked in schools now before I, before I took off in radio, I worked in schools for 15 years. So I, I get having to deal with people's children and they're not, you know, following direction. So, I mean, there's so much there that we can do to get better. And 
we have to be serious about it. Like we, it can't be lip service anymore. It can't be us just us talking because if it's just lip service, then we're going to have more Tamir Rice's. Um, we're going to have more Sandra Bland's and we can't have that. Yeah. It's a thing that came up um, talking to talk, talking to Myron Medcalf um, last week um, and, and sort of the element of it, which is, you know, I think sometimes it, people say systemic racism and it's a way to wave it away because you're like, well, it's hard to change a system, but it really, I think the police thing gets into that question of these are like deep structural things that have been going on, not just, you know, for the last decade, but for decades and for centuries and, and getting to the root of some of those things um, is, is, is difficult. Um, the thing, one of the things I wanted to bring up is this, this, uh, this, the role of organizations um, and and for advocacy and things like that. I'll, I'll go over to Dane and talk a little bit about um, Black Players for Change, which is obviously a, a thing in MLS that um, I feel like was sparked by a lot of that um, unrest and and sort of the questioning that came in the wake of of George Floyd's murder. So, um, you know, what do what do you know as a member of Black Players for Change? You know, what do you see as? I'm not asking you to be a spokesperson necessarily <laughs> for the organization, but you know, just what have you seen from your perspective as a Black player in MLS and and what they can what you think they can do? Yeah, I think um, our goal is to look outside the league and see what what goes on in the world and stuff, but we also want to look with inside the league, you know what I mean? Like there's not that many black coaches or, or players or black people in high positions in, in our league. And how can we help transition? Cause we've had some great players, black players in our league that haven't been able to get that, get that coaching job or that GM role or, or things like that. So I think we, we are, we're looking at both kind of lanes and saying, how can we help and be a part of the world and help society then, but how can we help, our black players that have played in the league for numerous amount of years or are playing in the league currently. And how can we help them get to that higher role or be that captain for their team or get to these higher roles? Because I think a lot of times, um, a lot of these jobs talk about, yeah, we're diversifying our, our thing. But then when you look at the highest roles, those are, those are still the, the white men, you know what I mean? So it's like, you can say you're diversifying your company, but if you're only giving the lower, the lower jobs to the, the women and, and the black people, then, that doesn't really count in, in my eyes, at least, you know what I mean? It's, I think it's getting those different perspectives at the highest part, because that's how you're going to be able to create the change because you need people in power realistically in the way America works. So until you have those diverse people in power, I don't know how much change can, can really be made. So I think a large part of it has been uh, building those foundations and seeing how we can help. But then we've done things for the community, like, building some uh, mini pitches just so kids can go out and, and play in these safe environments and things like that. So I think it was definitely tough with the pandemic and having Zoom calls and, of course, coming off the offseason. Um, it was a little bit slower with letting guys enjoy their offseason. But I think um, as the season picks up and guys get back into the preseason and things like that, um, we're definitely be talking about a lot more. But I think those are kind of the two main focuses of right now of how we can help the community, but how can we also help guys that are in the league or are out the league now but have been big catalysts um and helped players like myself be able to come through the system i, yeah, I think, I think that's big i think it's big and the reason why i say what dane just said is big is because he's hitting on things that um players can do to be proactive about having constructive and positive conversations in our country right but what I found out a lot more um, in 2020 
and I know Dane will probably agree with this, is, is the fact that, Steve, in 2020, players found their voices and they, and they understood their power. Like, they understood their power. And, and the reason why I say that is I'm a member of Cap Alpha Psi fraternity. Um, and a, 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 let's just say that somebody that's been under the microscope for the last few years is also a member, and that's Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick knew what he was doing back when he took a knee um, or protested, right? He, he was, he put himself out there when asked about it and he explained himself and he said, this is why I'm doing it. Right. And so he had the guts to do it. And um, Eric Reed, his teammate had the guts to do it then. But at that time though, they were villainized and they were looked down upon. Right. In 2020 players said, you know what? we have more power than what people have been giving us credit for. And I've said this for years that if the players, you know, make a stand or take a stand on something and they say, no, we're applying pressure, then things get done because they don't, they're not slaves. They, they, they have say in everything that happens, the NBA players and what happened in Milwaukee, they said enough. Um, we saw college players this year say, hey, um, we got to have some real conversations coming back in this pandemic because we're not being paid to do this, right? So there's a lot of smart, I think, eloquent, great conversations that have come out of 2020. But at the end of the day, I want I want players, whether they're MLS, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, it doesn't matter, any of the sports, um, WNBA women, love the women, love um, Megan Rapinoe, I mean, just everybody, right? What they found out and what they've said is we're just not um, going to put pressure on different organizations. We're putting political pressure on people. Mm-hmm. And when you start getting the politicians and letting them know this will not stand, then that's the game changer. I did um, some events with the Timberwolves around voting, right? Like people were like, no, enough, enough is enough. We got to get out and vote because we don't like the way that things are, but I love that, that players are thinking in that way. Yeah, for sure. I'm wearing my Megan Rapinoe uh, shirt right now. It's a <laughs> <laughs> USWNT shirt. So the, so yeah, for sure. Uh, Dane, did you, you have a comment for that? Yeah. I mean, I think kind of in the past, we kind of looked at it as you can do one or you can do the other. And people would say, Oh, you can't, if you had one bad performance, it's because, oh, you're not focused on on playing and you're too focused on other things. But, I mean, I look at what Marcus Rashford's done in England with uh, feeding all the kids. And, I mean, mm-hmm. everyone's okay with it now because he's scoring and, and doing well. But I'm sure if that first game after all those reports came out about things and he didn't play well, the media would have been the first to say, oh, he's not focused on soccer. But I think um, kind of like you said, this this year we we felt the power that, we are able to do both. And I mean, a lot of these kids and stuff like that look up to us and they kind of grow into that. Oh, I can know about sports and I can know about politics as well. Or like, I don't, and I'm not, we're not trying to tell anyone to do any decision that we feel personally, but it's about providing the, the education and the platform to say, okay, you can go and do your own research about the things now because maybe that wasn't something that I, I, I thought about before or these kids thought about before because they just said, Oh, it's only sports. You know what I mean? But people realize that we are, we are people too. And some people say, Oh, just shut up and dribble or shut up and play. But 
they have a regular job too and they do that job and they talk about politics so why is because we're athletes we can't talk about that politics as well but someone that's a businessman can talk about politics and has no reflection on on their job so i think um sometimes people like to put us on this pedestal of you can't talk about this because this is what you do but because we're pro athletes but we don't talk about the pro lawyers or the pro doctors or anything like that that they can't talk about politics so and at the end of the day we live in a democracy so everyone should be able to and should be talking about politics because i think the better education that we have regarding politics is the better informed decision that we're able to make absolutely absolutely i i don't i don't want to keep you guys too too long here um we'll just close we'll shift to another sort of platform um that i've been enjoying talking to people about and, and hearing about i wanted to get uh you know for black history month some recommendations for for music for people to check out uh or movies or 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 tv recommendations anything sort of black artists black creators um we've heard about judas and the black messiah which myron uh excoriated me for having not seen yet but i'm <laughs> I have to I haven't watch seen it. it yet i'm gonna be honest i haven't seen it yet either <laughs> So you're not the only one. I fall asleep rather early these days. Um, so I'm still trying to get up to watching a movie at night with my wife so we can get through it. But um, we've heard of, uh, I think Myron recommended uh, Notorious B.I.G.'s Ready to Die, which is a fantastic classic. I think Justin or Jeremy, I can't remember which one, they look kind of similar. Um, they're, they're, they're brothers, <laughs> um, recommended uh, Jay-Z's uh, Blueprint, uh, Volume 1, obviously another classic. Uh, I'll start with, with Dane. Um, wh- what can you recommend for us to check out? Um, nothing comes to mind specifically right now, but I think if you go to like HBO or Netflix, it's been interesting to see that they put like black categories now. To So I mm-hmm. think things under those guidelines, and instead of me just giving one movie you can find something that kind of fits what you enjoy as well but i think a lot of have come out on uh hbo and uh netflix which has been nice to see those showcase as well because i think sometimes you didn't see those kind of movies unless you really search for it so i think to put it in the public eye has been uh very impressive from their their standpoint yeah, I hope those categories, those playlists, those kind of curated lists are, are great to have. I hope that that continues. Um, yeah, I, and I, and yeah. I agree. I, I think that's a great. I think that's great what Dane said because you you want to give yourself some options on things to watch, right? I, I will say that um, something that I did see in this, it came out. I want to say maybe six or eight weeks ago, or maybe less than. It's been like the last couple of months. But Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, mm. um, that was a good um, um, picture. You know, I'm heartbroken still. Chadwick Boseman, rest yeah. in peace. He was phenomenal, you know, and it wasn't just, you know, Black Panther. But, like, I literally, I met him. So when I, the very first week that I had moved to Kansas City to get, for my radio job there, um, I was on a red carpet when he was the star for uh, 42. And that was that was when that came out. Now, I was just a big fan of his. So that was a good movie to watch. Um, man, there's so much, man. You know, I think about, you know, Black History Month, and, and Dane would agree with this. I know you would, Steve. You know, Black History Month, you know, ain't no Black History Month, really. It, it is, but it isn't. It's like Black History every day. That's what we're doing out here. So um, <laughs> literally across in the stadium, right there on University, is um, is um, a record store. It's, a, it's, a, it's an old school record store, but it's a hip-hop record store, and it's dope. Uh, Tim Wilson's the owner. It's called Urban Lights. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, and it'll be interesting to see when we can get fans back in the stadiums, right? But, but literally, it, it's a great place to go, and and he's got great historical context on hip hop, and he has 
you know, vinyl. He has everything you need. If you need it digital, however you want to get the music, he 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 can make it happen. But um, he goes like back in the day with like Naughty by Nature and Tretch and those guys and stuff, whatever. But Urban Lights right there on University um, across from the stadium. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I think, I think you, you, you brought up a great point there that we can't just limit these conversations now to Black History Month. And it's got to be, I mean, it ends in a week, but that's not where the conversation stops for us and, and things like that. And we need to not only put a light on Black people during the month, but in everyday life, that needs to, it should become a part of our everyday society now, but not just because, oh, it's Black History Month, we're going to go interview this Black person now. Like, we need to keep giving the same opportunities during the, the whole year. It shouldn't be just, oh, we're going to save it for Black History Month or, or things like that. I think we really need to focus in on giving more opportunities because I think every time someone's given an opportunity, especially uh, Black people that normally don't get the opportunities, everyone's surprised. But I think to, to us black people, we're, we're not surprised because we know that we're more more than capable of doing things, but it's just allowing that platform to the, the whole society and, and things like that. Absolutely. Great reminder, black history is American history and it shouldn't just be uh, for this month. As I've said to everybody who's come on so far, I want to have people back on. So hopefully, uh, you know, we get to talk to you guys. I mean, I know I'll talk to Dane again, but <laughs> hopefully Henry can come back on later. We can, we can have more conversations about this stuff. Henry, I'll start by saying thank you to you for coming on. Um, is there anything you want to uh, promote or things that you want uh, people to check out for yourself? Um, I'm not necessarily. I mean, they could always check me out on the radio station, uh, WCCO radio, um, eight three Oh, uh, on, uh, on the news side and, and also the sports side. Cause I do Timberwolves. I do, um, you know, twins post game, uh, and, and also pregame stuff. Um, they could check me out on Twitter at Lake show 73. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm not really, I don't post a million pictures. That ain't my thing. I just kind of sit there and gawk at people, but, nice. uh, but yeah, on Twitter, that's, that's probably the biggest way that people find me is at lake show 73 all right dane uh thank, thanks to you preseason's getting underway here uh you know it's 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 starting up again um you are mostly on instagram i assume like a young person and not on twitter is that correct I, i'm on twitter i don't maybe tweet a lot but i'm definitely on twitter there's a lot of jokes on twitter so <laughs> i do a lot of reading and researching but it's like some stuff you know you probably shouldn't retweet that you're that you're seeing that i'm seeing on my timeline so it's a, it's a lot of save to the favorites instead of likes for the public eye to see, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably on Twitter more, to be honest, but post more <laughs> Instagram for sure. All right. So that's eight at Saint C17 on Instagram, right? Yeah, I'm on, on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, thanks everybody out there for joining us for the 131st Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can find me at Steve Entress. I'm also mostly on Twitter. Instagram is almost strictly pictures of food I've learned to cook during the pandemic and my dog. So uh, <laughs> apologies as always to Richard Wagner. And remember... There's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.